The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others were like seed sown on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they do have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or prosecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, make it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what is sown. This is the word of the Lord. It is, uh, says Jesus in Mark 4, it is Jesus and his word which bring life like a seed in soil. Uh, But like a seed, it needs to go in if its life is to come out in bloom. The call of Jesus in Mark 4 is to be careful how we listen to him. Listen is the key word. It's there in verse 3, and different forms of it appear throughout uh, Mark 4. It's the key word in these verses. 
But when Jesus says, listen, he's after more than our ears. He's after our hearts. Uh, The kind of listening that leads to the kind of life, the kind of fruitfulness that is God's intention for his people is less about our ears and is much more about our hearts. It is much more about a wholehearted engagement with his word. It is about a desire, not only to embrace with our hearts what Jesus is saying, but then also to express in our lives what it is that we're hearing. In fact, those two things go hand in hand. This parable says something about the reasons why people ultimately uh, respond to Jesus as they do. But the point about parables, as one commentator has said, is that they make a direct appeal to the imagination. They're stories that are designed to draw you in. And they're designed to do that because as they appeal to the mind, as they appeal to the imagination, as they appeal to the affections and the emotions, they are trying to uh, lead to an action on behalf of the hearer. In other words, this is less about spending our time trying to analyze what kind of hearts I might have or what kind of hearts people might have. It's more a call to action. It's more a call to open our hearts to God's Word and to keep them open to God's Word. It's a parable for all of us in this room this morning. For those of us who are just investigating the Lord Jesus and his claims, it's a call to take Jesus' Word to heart. It's a call to let it be the heart of our life so that it can bring life to our hearts. And for those of us who are following the Lord Jesus, who perhaps have been following the Lord Jesus for some time, this is a call to keep Jesus' word uh, at the heart of our lives, to keep cultivating our hearts such that they remain constantly receptive to God's word, such that it continues to bear fruit in our lives. God's word, says Jesus, bears no fruit when it is not well received. And Jesus, if you like, gives three pictures uh, of three sort of types of heart, if you like, uh, in which the word is not well received. The first is like a hard path. Have a look at verse uh, 15. Some people, says Jesus, are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. In other words, Jesus says, for some, God's word bounces off their heart like seeds hitting stone. And then that word is snatched away by the devil. I don't think the point is that the devil has power to prevent someone from coming to salvation. We know that God uh, is the one who ultimately rules over salvation. The point, I think, rather, is that there are some whose hearts are hard. And when the word is preached, the word bounces off the heart like seed off a stone. It stays on the surface of the heart. It doesn't penetrate. God's word to them is dismissed with a wave of a hand without a second thought. And in such hearts, the devil is active. And part of his work uh, work is to snatch away the seed that lies still on the surface of the heart. And as I said at the start, the point about parables is that they are a call to action. If uh, you're here this morning and uh, you're investigating uh, the claims of Christ, it's great to have you with us. And I think Jesus' word to you this morning is that if uh, we're serious about finding God, we need to recognize that actually uh, the Bible says our hearts are naturally hard and we need God's help to soften them. We need his spirit 
So one of the things we, we are to do if we're investigating the Lord Jesus is to read about him and to talk about him and to ask our questions, but it's also to pray that he would make himself known to us, that he would soften our hearts. One of the things I think it's helpful to do is to, is to look at our own hearts and think, are there reasons why I don't want to believe this rather than necessarily I can't believe this? And the other thing to note, I think, is that God's call to us is urgent. It's always urgent. The Bible has a lot to say about acting on what we hear today. Uh, there is always that, uh, that temptation, isn't there? Perhaps when we're investigating the claims of Christ, I think it's a temptation if we're following Christ, actually, to, to say, well, I'm going to put that word to one side and I'll come back when I'm less busy or at a time when it suits me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll think about that another time in my life. I think the warning from Mark 4 is actually, actually that is a dangerous game to play because the word can be snatched away in that time and we may, may well find that we don't return to it. The word has been snatched away. I think for those of us who are following the Lord Jesus and we're sharing, uh, or seeking to share Jesus with our friends, family, work colleagues, whatever it might be, it's a reminder, of course, that uh, such work is always a spiritual battle and we are to pray for those we are wanting to share the gospel with and we're to pray against the work of the devil. We're to pray for soft hearts, receptive hearts in those that we're wanting to talk to. It's also a reminder that ultimately uh, people coming to faith is, is God's work and it's not based on our ability. Our job is to be faithful, is to sow the seed and to leave the results uh, to God. So first, Jesus says there is the hard-hearted. Secondly, there is, if you like, the shallow soil. That's verses 16 and 17. He says, others, where are we? Verse 16, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Here's the, the, the shallow soil, you see. And the point I think about Jesus here is he's saying it, it is not initial enthusiasm that is the hallmark of the Christian life. Uh, enthusiasm is good, but it's not the hallmark. The hallmark is ongoing endurance. Now, there will be those who respond to Jesus with what turns out to be a sort of a fair-weather faith that blooms in sunshine but withers in showers. And again, this is a call to action. And I think what it's saying to us is, is for, for, for those of us, any of us who've, who've tasted some sort of um, discomfort or experience some sort of maybe social exclusion or whatever it might be on account of God's word, it's a reminder that such discomfort, such trouble um, can often either drive God's word further in or it can squeeze God's word out of our hearts. And so it's an encouragement to be those who are aware of that in difficult times. And therefore, to be those who are consciously drawing God into our struggle, drawing him into our difficulties, uh, bringing his word and his life to bear, allowing him to be our comfort, our peace, our refuge, our strength, our life, to keep welcoming his word when it is tough. It is a warning not to be those who draw God into, as one person put it, the court of our judgment, which is tempting in times of trouble, to wonder if those things in God's word that are perhaps causing me trouble, uh, well, to begin to, to doubt that word, to question that word, to begin to doubt God's goodness to me. In short, to begin to let God's word be squeezed out by 
the external pressure that I'm feeling. It's an encouragement and a warning to those of us who have experienced anything of external pressure because of our faith. The third type of soil is there in verses 18 and 19. Uh, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'd be interested to to know if I did, how many of us would say we wished we were more busy? Uh, Not many of us. I read this uh, in an article that I thought was quite helpful. For most of us, this person wrote, it isn't heresy or rank apostasy that will derail our profession of faith. It is the worries of life. Uh, Many of us bemoan our busyness. I think what this question uh, that struck me as I read this, and this part of the parable resonated most with me, is to what extent am I a victim? In other words, to what extent is my busyness completely out of my hands? But to what extent actually am I responsible for uh, some elements of busyness in my life? See, it's easy, isn't it, to get caught up in uh, life-choking anxiety and busyness. And I think one of the ways that happens is when, we, um, is when we begin to believe the story that the world tells us about where life is to be found rather than the story that God tells us about where, the life, uh, where life is to be found. So the story of the world, of course, is essentially that life is found in our circumstances and that if I can change certain circumstances, if I can increase certain circumstances, if I can remove these circumstances, then, of course, life will be better, life will flourish. And as we begin to believe that story, well, it will begin to express itself in the same fears and priorities and frantic pace of our world. We'll adopt the priorities of our world and the fearful anxiety that flows from thinking that X, whatever X might be, holds my life in its hands. We'll believe the deceitful promise of wealth that it can buy happiness and we'll become enslaved by the relentless pursuit of the material, a life consumed by consumption. And the warning here from Jesus is that such a life can end up squeezing God's word out of our lives. And I read a a review of a book that an American uh, pastor and theologian had uh, written uh, recently called Crazy Busy. And in this review, uh, they point out that the, uh, the writer of this book had made the point that the extent to which we are already fearful and frantic and feeling sort of spiritually choked is something of a diagnostic tool as to how loud the story of our world is playing in our hearts. He said this, our crazy schedules are often signs that soul sickness has already set in. I thought that was helpful. And then the writer of this book said, how much of our busyness flows from dancing to the world's tune? And he gave six or seven examples of where that can be the case, and two particularly struck me, and I want to share them with you this morning. He said, the first is technology. He had this amazing quote. He talked about the increasing, quote, stranglehold that screens have on our souls. So that was very striking. He said, of course they bring benefits. He wasn't bemoaning technology. Technology can be a good thing. And to be embraced and used, God's good gift to us. He wasn't bemoaning technology. He was simply saying, is it not true that things like social media 
can end up robbing us of far more time than they save. I was talking to uh, Philippa, my wife, about this, and we were saying, how much time do we spend browsing completely inconsequential things at the end of the day as a way of switching off? Or when we're anxious, or when we want to, you know, we're worried about something, we'll just, we'll just browse something completely pointless, and we'll, we'll discover we've just spent an hour, you know, surfing meaninglessly. And then he quoted uh, a philosopher, I think it's a Christian philosopher, who, talked, who said this, he argued that the use of social media is another example, he said, of the desire of the world to complexify our lives. In other words, he said, actually, this busyness that we bemoan, of which the use of social media can contribute, actually, we want it. We want to be busy. We want our lives to be complicated because, he says, we fear what simplicity would look like. He says he fears what actually having time alone to think about ourselves, about the world, about the big questions of us and God, what actually time with God might look like, we're actually sort of naturally a little bit nervous of. And so we cram everything with distraction. We complexify. And social media is one example. Now, I think there's some truth in that. I was very struck by that. It's something that I want to go away and think about a little bit more. But I thought that was helpful. The second thing that he pointed out, which I think was particularly helpful and resonated with me, was how easy it is to adopt the frantic pace of our world by forgetting the rhythms of the gospel, by forgetting the rhythms of gospel life. Again, let me quote him. He said this, Many of us are less busy than we think, but life feels overwhelming because our days and our weeks and our months have no rhythm. We have no routine no order to our days. We are never completely on, but we are never completely off. I thought that was very striking. He made the point that actually when you look at how time is structured, how time is presented in the Bible, it is very different often to the, the way it's structured by the world around us. In the world around us, because we think life comes from making much of ourselves or making, or making things and, getting, and consuming things, Time is just to be filled with doing. Uh, it's just to be filled with distraction. But actually the Bible says, because that isn't actually the root of life, because actually our life is supposed to come from God, in the Bible you see time is structured in a way that allows us to reflect on that, to remember that, to enjoy that. Uh, Alistair McGraw, writing about this, uh, makes this point. He says, time is a gift, and therefore it's to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed well, it needs to be stewarded. And he went on to say, time doesn't just mark the location of our existence. It offers Christians an arena within which we are meant to grow and develop as Christians. And so, from the earliest times, the Christian church has, seek, has sought to structure time in a countercultural way. Not to cram it full of work and distraction, but allow certain times to be regularly set aside to remember who we are, whose we are, where life comes from. The classic example would be Sundays. Setting aside Sundays, the day of the Lord's resurrection, to gather together as God's people, to remember who we are, to remember that we're finite, we're creatures, we need to rest, we're not God, uh, to remember too the work of Christ, the life-giving work of Christ on his uh, cross and his resurrection, 
taking Sundays is a chance to remember that we are His. We're not enslaved by consumerism or our culture's expectations or our work. We belong to God. He is our Lord. He is our life. And taking that regular time, you see, reinforces that physically and mentally. Same with Christian seasons. Again, uh, since the early church, we've the Christian church has thought it's a good idea to take seasons like Advent and Lent, regular annual seasons where we reflect on who we are, whose we are, and the gospel. I'm aware, of course, that there are certain pressures in life that sometimes mean that uh, taking Sundays is not uh, uh, possible every week and shift patterns and all the rest of it. The key thing, I think, is I think Sundays are significant. If we can take them, it's good because we want to meet with God's people. But I think the key is creating in our schedules regular time of rest. Regular time of rest, for we are finite beings. And we need to remember that our life is found in Christ and not our world. And the regular times that the Christian church has set aside, Sundays and seasons, are a way in which we can do that as we remember the gospel. It is time spent with Jesus that is rest. Because it's time spent with him that we are reminded who we are. We're not cogs in a capitalist machine. We're children of God. And we're reminded whose we are. We're children of a loving Heavenly Father in uh, whose hands is our life. See, if we leave this sort of fearful, frantic pace unchallenged, then increasingly the story of the world will displace the story of God in our lives and that fruitfulness will be choked. And so I think the challenge for us and the encouragement for us here in Mark 4 is to be constantly gardening. It's to be constantly weeding our hearts, pulling up those, those weeds where we see the story of the world perhaps getting too loud and, and squeezing us unhelpfully and choking us spiritually. We're to pull up those weeds and we're to replace them with the gospel. That is always the best way to do weeding, by the way. It's to sow the gospel, to re-preach the gospel to ourselves. If we want to displace the, the song of the world, we best do it by playing the song of the gospel, because it's a better song. Finally, verse 20. Jesus says, Others, like seed sown in good soil, hear, accept the word, produce a crop, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. What are the characteristics of uh, the listener that receives God's word in such a way that it can send down deep roots and bring forth faithfulness and fruitfulness? There are many ways. One, I think, is that when we gather, we must expect God to speak. Uh, We must expect him to speak. He speaks through his word, and we must expect that. So we should be praying for ourselves, praying for the preacher, uh, praying for those around us as we gather. Uh, seeking to come to church as physically and mentally fresh as we can so that we are attentive to the Lord. And of course we have a part to play as a community. We're not called to walk the Christian life alone. So one of the ways we can encourage each other to be good listeners of God's word is to be making use of our times together in our small group, house group, prayer triplets, and our time over tea and coffee. Let's make the most of that time. Let's be asking questions like, listen, What struck you? What struck you from what was said? What did you learn about God, about Jesus, about yourself? What was the challenge? What was the encouragement? How does God's grace enable us to move forward? You see, that'll stop the word from just sitting on the surface. That'll help us push it in, push it deep. 
We've all got a part to play, if you like, in helping one another cultivate our hearts such that they are receptive to God's word. The kind of listening that Jesus calls us to, the kind that leads to fruitfulness and life in all its fullness is a spiritual discipline because it involves our hearts as much as our ears. And so the call here, I think, is to keep guarding our hearts for they are the wellspring of life. And this we do by keeping God's word being sown there, putting ourselves on the receiving end of God's word as we gather corporately like this or in house group or whatever it might be in our personal reading of the Bible, being attentive to it, and then seeking to let it in by having an attitude of submission and obedience. We want to take it in. We want to embrace it so that we can express it. And then, of course, it is by praying. Praying for God's spirit, that spirit that brings light and life to supervise our hearts and to keep them soft. So let's pray that God would do exactly that. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you speak uh, through your word. We thank you that you have spoken uh, through uh, these uh, words from Mark's gospel. And we pray for our hearts to be receptive to your gospel. We pray for your spirit to continue to soften our hearts that we might hear and hear that we might do and be fruitful. And we pray for eyes too to see the opportunities we have to sow the seeds of your gospel in our uh, neighborhood and with our friends and family, wherever it might be. And we pray, uh, Heavenly Father, for you to grow those seeds that we sow and produce fruit for your glory. Amen.